This morning, we continue our sermon series, Faith in Action, as we journey together through the book of James, written in the first century to Christians distressed and scattered. James, most scholars believe, to be the brother of Jesus. He writes to the whole church with a great concern for actions. If you have been away the past couple of weeks, I would encourage you to pull up Covenant's website and look on the very first page, the home page, and you will see there toward the bottom an article about the $100 project and extravagant generosity. And within that article is embedded a link to pull up a video that will show a video we saw together two Sundays prior of a man, an engineer, spending eight months trying to learn a new way to ride a bicycle demonstrating before our very eyes how difficult it is to change our behavior. Changing our behaviors will be one of the most difficult things we ever do in life. And the book of James, as Thomas has been saying, is going to teach us, show us how to learn how to ride a bicycle backwards. A year ago this weekend... My then eight-year-old niece, Erin, arrived with my dad to spend a week with me in order to attend Vacation Bible School here at Covenant. She almost didn't make it. The trip almost didn't happen because Erin has, at that point, she had never, ever been away from home without her parents before. And on Tuesday before her Friday flight, she began asking if she could stay home. By the day before, there were lots of tears. She had a full-blown full meltdown in the Orlando airport with my dad after saying goodbye to her parents. I think my dad is actually still recovering from that <laughs> travel day. After an initial big cry with me upon her arrival, we settled into a very happy week together. We had late dinner, we went to bed even later and started our week together. The next morning we woke up leisurely. Aaron and I enjoyed making blueberry pancakes for my dad as an early Father's Day celebration. We went down to the long sitter, we checked out Bubba Palooza and had a very late lunch at Chewy's. We then came home and right after we got home, my tired niece asked for a, a couple of pieces of paper and some markers, which I gave her, excited to have some sort of new piece of artwork for my refrigerator. The masterpiece was not what I anticipated. Instead of a picture of a butterfly or of a cross or of a happy family standing in front of a, a home with a chimney, which Aaron likes to draw, after just 24 hours together, I received this note. At 8 p.m. in Texas, it is 9 p.m. in Florida. At 7 a.m., it is 8 a.m. in Florida. At 3 p.m., it is 4 p.m. in Florida. At 11, it is 12 in Florida. That means I need to go to bed at 8 because it is 9 for me. That means at 7 it is 8 for me because I eat breakfast at 8. 
That means I need to eat dinner at 3 because it is 4 for me. That means I eat at 11, signed Aaron Riley, culminating on the very bottom with the words, some notes for Aunt Jill. <laughs> I'm sorry you can't see this because really my favorite part of this is Aunt Jill is spelled A-N-T, Jill. Basically, what Erin was saying to me, my precious niece, who I love so much and she knows of my love for her, but she was saying to me, I need you to care for me. And to do that, Aunt Jill, you are going to have to make a change. And I'd like to invite us to turn our attention now to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. If you are using the Bible under the chair in front of you. This is on page 980. Anytime you see in the book of James the, the phrase, my children or my beloved or my brothers and sisters or my brothers, any of, of those, any of those words, it almost always, or actually it does always signify that there's some sort of turn. It's signaling a turn of focus in the book. So we're going to see here that that James is bringing up a new topic. We are going to see three themes in today's scripture, key three, three key themes that are going to reveal themselves later in this very same book, themes that are very important to James. One, controlling the tongue. Two, concern for the helpless. And three, avoiding being corrupted by the world. Three ways believers do the word in three ways possibly that we might need to make a change. Let's read God's word together. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. And welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If you think they are religious, and if any think they are religious, and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the, God, of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Speak, Lord, 
for we are listening. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. At the very beginning of James, of James's letter, if you've got your Bible still open, you'll see it there in verse 4. At the very beginning, he speaks about maturity and progression in our walk with Christ. We have a natural desire to grow. Door frames in houses mark the height of different family members as they age and progress through life. We transition from one grade to the next. We celebrate milestones of crawling and sitting up and walking and speaking and sharing and adding and driving and working. Maturity in Christ is God's purpose for us. Eugene Peterson's book, Practice Resurrection, unpacks what it means to be fully grown up in the stature of Christ, to fully grow to the stature of Christ. We are born. It's a glorious event. Birth brings us alive, kicking and crying into a world that is vast, complex, demanding, dangerous, and beautiful. One day on waking up, we stand upright and amaze everyone with our pedestrian acrobatics. It isn't long before we are comfortable with language, using nouns and verbs with the best of them. We are growing. Jesus used the birth metaphor as a metaphor for another kind of truth. Being alive to God, being alive to God's holiness, being alive to God's will, being alive to God's power and desires and purposes. Birth, then growth. The human task is to become mature, not only in our bodies and in our emotions and in our minds, but also in our relationship with God and with each other. Growing up involves the work of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, conforming us into the likeness of Christ. Friends, we need to reach for some maturity. We are to grow up. The way we talk is a good place to start. We live in a society saturated with words. Several years back, Science Magazine published a study conducted by several universities. The University of Texas participated in this study, their Department of Psychology. Digital voice recorders tracked snippets of ambient sounds while participants went about their regular daily life in order to try to measure the average number of words men and women speak during a day's time, assuming 17 waking hours. The study revealed that we speak on average 15 to 16,000 words a day. You may be surprised to learn that men and women are equally talkative, with the daily average only being slightly higher if you are female. A study conducted, a different study, which was conducted by the University of California in San Diego, reports that the average American consumes, again, this is on average, 
about 100,000 words of information in a single day. Information that comes across our eyes or our ears. But the more we are bombarded by words, perhaps they mean less to us. Part of the problem is the way we use our words. With our words, we build up and we tear down. We inform and we deceive. We bless and we praise and we also curse. The children's rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never help me, said to to try to combat verbal bullying, that ultimately is an untruth. Words can hurt. I am confident there are many in this room who are living with the wounds of hurtful words said to you likely by someone close to you or by someone you respect. Words have great power. What we say and how we say them matters. With our mouths, we can so easily destroy one another. Reading from the contemporary translation from the Bible, the message, we are urged to lead with our ears, to follow up with your tongue, and to let anger straggle along in the rear. Listening. You would think it would be easier. Stephen Covey says that most of us, or many of us, listen with an intent to reply rather than with an intent to understand. You have two ears and one mouth. Use your ears more. Be slow to speak. Pause, focus, care. The teaching is so very practical. It's not difficult to understand. It is not rocket science, yet it is so hard to do, isn't it? Listening is a complicated skill that takes a lifetime to sharpen and develop. Talk about learning how to ride a bicycle backwards to be able to turn into an active listener and to be slow to speak and slow to anger. The slow part is the challenge, I think, because we are not known for being very good at waiting. It is difficult to pause. It is difficult to wait. I remembered recently a letter I wrote decades ago to someone close to me who I felt had wronged me. I poured out my heart and shared in detail all of my disappointments and my frustrations and my sadness. I then had the foresight to ask a wise friend to look over my letter before I sent it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, gives us three questions to ask before we speak. Is it kind? Is it truthful? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it truthful? Is it helpful? Our words are to be like grace offered to another human being. That is the goal. 
So my friend's recommendation after reading my letter, she was glad I had an opportunity to offload and to vent. She then encouraged me to rip up the letter and never to send it. The wisdom of a pause. It's often wise not to send that email or to send that text or to send that letter or to let words immediately come out of our mouths, especially when we are in a time of vulnerability and feeling like our back is up against the wall. Sometimes we don't need to speak at all. If you have to start a sentence by lowering your voice, looking around and saying, I probably shouldn't tell you this, then you probably shouldn't tell them that. Just because we have a thought doesn't mean it has to come unfiltered from our minds out through our mouths. It would be wise for us to nurture the ability to be quiet because sometimes that is exactly what is best to do. Growing up in Christ means we learn to restrain our tongues as we live in God's world. Living in God's world. James says, as you engage the world, don't be like the one who looks into the mirror and then quickly forgets their identity. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. When my friends, Hal and Jean, were raising their three kids together, almost every day in the morning, they would gather together as a family at the threshold of that front door and the five of them, they would look at each other and they would remind each other to remember who you are before we open that door and go out into God's world and live our lives in classrooms and in workplaces and behind the steering wheel and in dance halls and on soccer fields. Remember who you are and mirror God's character. Who we are has everything to do with how we do things and what we say and what we do and what we don't do. Disciples are to look and to act like our heavenly Father, who, by the way, thankfully, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. With all of this focus on speech, the point James makes is that true religion is not talking a good game. The kind of religion that passes muster with God the Father is to care for orphans and to care for widows in their distress and to keep oneself unpolluted from the world. It all boils down to loving our neighbor and being the people whose identity is to protect and care for the poor and the oppressed. Brothers and sisters, there are people out in the world who need for us to care for them. And to do that body of Christ means that we will have to make some changes. The dominant one for many of us being thinking less about ourselves. The hole in our gospel is 
the title of a best-selling book written by the president of World Vision, Richard Stearns. In this book, Stearns urges us to ask questions like, what if all followers of Jesus looked beyond the walls of their churches and worked together in reclaiming the world for Christ's kingdom? What if we actually demonstrated God's love for the world instead of just talking about it? What if we embraced the whole gospel of loving God and loving our neighbors? This is the gospel without a whole. And we are compelled by Scripture to make this vision a reality. The first century world was amazed by Christ because of what Christ did. Jesus healed the sick. He loved the poor. He touched the leper. He stood up for the one who was beat down and the outcast. He forgave the sinner. He condemned the righteous and religious hypocrites. He shared meals with prostitutes and with corrupt tax collectors. He challenged the wealthy and the powerful. He demonstrated that greatness is found in serving, and he then gave himself away and died so that others might live. These actions performed by one man change the world. These same actions, when carried out by Christ's followers, still change the world today. This is why we do things like collect canned goods for the Capital Area Food Bank that is in a desperate place, unable to feed people who are hungry right now. This is why we contribute to Monte Cristo's back-to-school program because there are kids whose families are not able to get school supplies for them in order to help them with their education. This is why over in 11 o'clock contemporary worship right now, people are being commissioned to go to Zambia and to care for children at risk. This is why we mow the yard of a reclusive neighbor and run errands for a shut-in and make soup for the sick. We are to be the people of God who live out our faith with actions. As we think of God's world, I'd like to share about a sweet part of my week this past week. Actually, this has been going on for a couple of weeks. A glimpse of the beauty and gift of this world in which we live in. Last week, I had the delight of watching baby birds come into this world right outside my front door. An intricate nest was built uh, above a doorframe made out of mud for at least a week. Then the mom placed herself on the nest and didn't move for days, presumably sitting on top of an egg or two. Then I came home from work one night and the nest was empty. A few days later, four little beaks were seen barely over the edge of that mud nest. At first, they were practically naked. They appeared to be blind. My favorite sighting was the wisps of feathers all wild and 
and fuzzy on top of their heads. They are now, just in a week's time since their birth, quite a bit more crowded in the nest. Instead of seeing four beaks and faces, I typically just see three, as usually one bird is turned around with their backsides sticking halfway over the nest to make more space for the others. Their eyes are now open, black, and tracking my movement. They still are so helpless and vulnerable. My birding friends, friends have confirmed the birds are barn swallows and that they will fledge in 18 to 23 days, feathers and wing muscles developed enough for flight. It has been a gift to watch their beginnings and to watch their early growth, and I will miss them when they are gone. But I will also celebrate, because those little barn swallows, they are made for freedom, and they are made for flight. And they are made for growth, so they are not to live their whole lives in that little nest, vulnerable, desperately vulnerable to the world. They are to be free and to go out into God's larger world. And friends, so are we. We are made for growth. And that doesn't end when we finish adolescence or when we turn 21 or when we turn 30. We continue to grow and to mature in Christ all throughout our lives. And we are made to be free. And one way we can demonstrate our freedom is by exercising the freedom of restraint in order to care for another. And we are meant to fly. We are meant to go out into God's larger world to remember who we are and to be a blessing and to give ourselves away. We risk and we go. How can we help our contemporaries to hear and to experience God's word in a culture saturated with words? by being thoughtful and deliberate with our own words. Because our words are a crucial part of our witness. And with concrete practices of love. Let's go do it. Would you pray with me? Oh, loving God, we pray for one another this morning as we indeed ready ourselves and allow you to ready us to go and to launch back into your messy, complicated, God-ordained world. Lord, we do ponder anew what the Almighty might do. Lord, we need the help of your spirit if we are going to seriously have any hope of having our speech changed. God, would you help us to pay attention to what we are saying and that our words might be used to build up rather than to tear down. As you have been showing us and teaching us in the area of money and 
time that we are to be more deliberate and thoughtful, God, would you, by your grace, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to see how we might be more deliberate and thoughtful with our speech. Grow us into the generous, thoughtful disciples you long for us to be. For your glory, for your purposes, for the least of these in your world, we pray this together in the name of Jesus. Amen.